Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Episode R030 features a woman who found healing through writing. Stacy Brookman stumbled into the importance of knowing and sharing our stories through self-reflection and acceptance from others. In this episode, Stacy shares a harrowing story of untangling her life from a husband she says groomed her to be a years-long victim of emotional abuse. When Stacy accidentally learned that her husband was leading a double life of shocking infidelity, it took two years to free herself and her daughters from lies, manipulation, electronic surveillance, and downright sabotage. Stacy talks about what it's like to be gaslighted. She shares how women can convincingly share stories that seem like they couldn't possibly happen in real life because it's so important to be believed. Stacy also shares why it's important for family members and friends to support women when their loved ones begin to reveal shocking and supposedly unbelievable truths. Hey, Stacy, thanks for inviting us into your life. I appreciate you taking the time out of a really hectic time in, in your life. Well, you're welcome, Tracy. It is my joy to be here. I met you on Medium, and I have been following your your platform, Revamp, and I can't wait to dive into your story. But first, tell me, what is your life like today? Oh, my goodness. My life is is filled with all kinds of fun things to do. Um, I'm creating a, well, of course, I have my podcast called Real Life Resilience that I'm working on. I have a new emotional abuse recovery and resilience summit. And what I do, I'm, I'm just a life storytelling and resilience expert. So I help women, especially those who have been um, emotionally abused or who have had their voice silenced. So typically they're smart, outwardly confident women, but they secretly have low self-esteem issues because they have an emotionally abusive partner. And I help them take back control and begin to develop the resilience they need to be themselves again. And that is such a joy for me. And and you're an expert in that field because you have unfortunately been there and, and that's part of your story. That is part of my story and, and research, but uh, it began with uh, a t- unfortunate experiences with uh, emotional abuse. Yes. Yeah. Um, before we get into that, uh, I, I like to ask my guests uh, where they share their story and why. I share my story with the world. <laughs> I mentioned I have the Real Life Resilience podcast, so I share my parts of my story there. And I have a, a website, stacybrookman.com, and that's where my podcast, my blog, all about me and and my backstory as well as what's coming up in the future is right there. And then I'm also on social media. I just discovered um, Instagram and I've been doing some Instagram live 
things <laughs> video. Instagram rocks. Yeah, I, I just discovered it. So I'm like kind of a late comer to that um, and a late comer to the live stuff. I'm just kind of reluctant um, to do that because I'm so self-conscious about, you know, stumbling over my words yeah. and sounding nice, looking nice, having the right lighting. The yeah. it's, it's not all there, but uh, I'm making those baby steps. Well, we're going to we're going to hook our listeners up uh, with all of your your social media in the show notes. And I've got one more question before we dig in. Uh, would you describe your reboot as a moment, a coincidence, a choice or a series of choices? Oh, I would describe it as a moment. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. And a moment when then I made the choice. <laughs> A realization moment. Let me just tell you that. I, I truly believe that as human beings, we have a huge capacity for pulling the wool over our own eyes. And <laughs> yeah. my moment was when I pulled the wool off my own eyes. And I'm like, wow, this is what's been happening. Not taking it anymore. Yeah. Wow. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, the relationship that you were in uh, before things went south on you and before you realized that you had to get out. Tell me what life was like in the beginning. Yeah, well, I uh, thought I had married the love of my life. I was um, the man of my dreams. He was strong. I thought he loved me. We were going to have children and build our lives together. As many marriages start out, he kind of swept me off my feet. Um, I found out later there's a, there's a, um, there's a term for that. It's called love bombing. So if you feel like, you know, things are going really fast, but this is the perfect man, there probably is not. <laughs> um, and so it started out like that. And um, as the years went by, it was a very, uh, turned out to be a very tough relationship. He never, you know, kept a job longer than six months. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had uh, been kind of groomed to accept his uh, mercurial behavior, uh, hot and cold, um, you know, and then he would, was telling me things that I didn't think I said, but he said I said them. And, you know, I was like, well, maybe I did. You know, I'm really busy. Perhaps I did say that. I didn't think I did. You know, making you question yourself, all different kinds of just oddities. And I was, I, you know, ultimately had two two little girls and I was the primary breadwinner because he couldn't keep a job. And of course, you know, I, I couldn't speak that out loud because that would embarrass him. And, and um, he was in incredibly controlling. So again, this is part of that wool that was over my own eyes. I didn't, you know, and then that frog that's been boiled in the pot, you know, from cold water to hot, you know, I didn't realize all of the things that were happening uh, but one day uh, I was paying bills and my younger daughter wanted to get on the computer and a family computer. So I, you know, did, undid the password and my husband's email was up and it, I saw it, I saw an email and it was a confirmation email and it was a confirmation of the ad that he had just posted offering himself as a sex partner for couples. Mm. And my stomach did a flip and my throat tightened and that was when reality came crashing down. Old, it was just. How old was your daughter? And then what did you, what, did, did you have to have a conversation? She was seven. She didn't really see it. She was on my lap. And as soon as I saw the, 
the title of the confirmation email, I knew there was something that was not, that's, mm -mm. and so I scooched her off and said, I'm sorry, you can't, not playing on the computer this time and go play. And, uh, took uh, took a good look at it and, and so you I, I interrupted your your thoughts mm-hmm. and I apologize I was just concerned about your daughter um, yeah yeah no no she had no idea um it it just made me sick um and I, I even then I didn't realize I I just thought it was a tough relationship I just thought you know he's not a nice person I'm sticking it with it for the kids I'm I'm going to you know I'm tougher than this. I can handle this. I'm strong. And you know what? I was fooling myself. I was fooling myself that being strong and toughing it out was the right thing to do. And really, I was living in fear. I was living in fear that if I stepped out, if I said, you know, if I called out some of the things that he had been doing, um, stealing from work, all kinds of things that, um, that would be bad if I, and, and, you know, and we can talk about this later, but I discovered my whole life theme was not standing up for myself, not allowing my voice to speak. And at the, this time I still didn't realize that was my life theme. And, but I knew that my girls, um, they were, you know, seven and nine at the time were watching me in this relationship. And this was the, this was it. I'm like, I do not want them to grow up. They have a higher propensity to be in a relationship just like this because of the fact that I'm in a relationship. And that's what Mm. broke my heart. That's what caused me to move and say, you know what? I'm not taking this. I'm not going to do this because I don't want my girls to grow up and think this is normal because it's not. Was that email your moment? No, it was not. Oh, there was more. Okay. Then, oh yeah, there's far more. Then, then, um, take me to the the point where where you saw that email, and then you said, "I don't want my girls to grow up like that." How, how many how many days or weeks do you think it took you to get to the point where you processed that fully? for your children and then decided to make a decision or was it immediate? You know, it was immediate decision right then and there. Um, it just snapped and it, I, I realized and I started looking back and thinking, you know what? I have, um, I have accepted this behavior. That's, that's my part in it. I don't blame myself. I'm not blaming any victim who stays in. I've tried, I tried to leave the marriage actually three. Uh, this was the fourth time right after this and, um, always went back. And a lot of people say, why do, why do battered women go back? And he never laid a hand on me. He didn't, it was all psychological, um, coercion, bullying, um, emotional, psychological abuse. Um, and it's just as damaging as, uh, physical abuse. So I, I just, my part in it was not standing up for myself, but I had been taught that, that my voice was, should not be heard. Uh, from the time I was little. And uh, many of us are, you know, good girls just go along with things. Good girls don't, you know, say that's not right. Um, And so I had, I had done that my entire life. So um, yeah, I I made the decision right then. In fact, the next day I went to an attorney and told her what happened. She said, go and get that computer, take it to a forensic computer person, and they will verify that's where that came from. And you'll have no problem in court 
So I went to bed. I slept on it. The next morning, I came up, came downstairs to get the computer. It was gone. Oh, my. The whole, there were only dust mites where that computer and the printer had been. And I had not told anybody at all about what had happened. I mean, I, you know, it had just been the day before. So then, and he came, he stormed in, he he was spitting. He said, I know what you're doing. I'm going to take the house. I'm going to take the kids. I'm going to take you down. And my knees were shaking. I, I knew I was in over my head. In fact, my, I'm, I'm getting clammy hands just re- recalling, mm-hmm. remembering it. Um, it was very scary and Stacey, dangerous. How do you think he knew? Well, come to find out he had planted a bug in my car, oh. uh, a listening device. So later on I took my car to, cause he, he knew some other things that I had talked about on the phone, you know, on the cell phone with my mom mm. or whatever. And, uh, he had, he had placed a listening device in my car. He was serious then, and so oh yeah, when he said he's coming after you, and you you knew you were in over your head, and yes, then what happened? Well, funny thing is, I was I I googled, you know, spy store. <laughs> I didn't know. I had no clue why what I was doing in a spy. You know, looking for spy stores or private eyes or investigators. I mean, that stuff is on you know the Hallmark Channel, not in my life. <laughs> But it was, it was in my life. And um, so I found actually a spy store in, this was in Rochester, New York. And I called the guy up and I said, how do you tell, you know, I I suspected, I said, how do you tell if there's a bug in your car listening device? And he, he was just really nonchalant. He said, oh, well, whenever, um, he said, come in. So I came in and, and um, he said, well, whenever I sell these things, I just tell him, put them up underneath the dash. And, uh, they're un- under there. So I went out in the parking lot and I felt underneath the dash and a wire, a loose wire dropped down. And I knew immediately that's what it was. I knew immediately it wasn't part of the car because it had a little module on it that said radio shack. Mm. So I'm like, mm, okay, so this is where, this is it. This is where I'm at. And, you know, then you just, you just have, you have to deal. And I had been, uh, for 10 years holding the wheels, holding, you know, the, everything together, you know, making sure that the family and the finances and, you know, he, he was just a wreck of, of a, of a human being, uh, you know, on any civility. So, um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make my game plan and do it. And little did I know that when you leave, that is actually one of the most dangerous moments of, you, you really need to plan it out. Um, when you're leaving an abuser, even a psychological abuser. So then the games really started. He uh, would cut the wires. He snuck in to my house, cut the heater wires in the middle of winter in Rochester, New York, and called Child Protective Services to say I wasn't providing heat for the kids. Um, he, We were trying to sell the house that we had together, and he went and cut all the wall light fixtures off the walls and filled the toilets with feces. Um, he, when the girls were called, they, he knew they were supposed to go to court to, um, they weren't testifying, but the judge had to talk to them. Uh, he drove back and forth in front of the house, back and forth, back and forth, um, intimidating Mm. them. And so just for drug on for two long years. Mm. Um, in fact, he never did in, 
in uh, New York, that whoever uh, files a petition first has to sign the final petition, right, for divorce. And when he knew I went to the the my attorney, he went and filed first. So he actually got his filing in first. So at in the end, two years later, you know, long drug out, a lot, lot of expense, a lot of craziness happening. Um, he, he would not sign the divorce decree and he convinced another girl and a judge and, or a, a clergy and the, the city clerk to give him another marriage license. So he was remarried in a, a, an abigamist while he was married to me afterwards as well. So just lots of, I mean, I could go on and on. There's just so many nuts. You, with, I mean, you just have to laugh because it is so crazy. With, with you, the primary breadwinner, where the heck did he get the money to uh, for legal fees? Well, from what I understand, because that wife, um, he's already had a child and then he, uh, uh, they got divorced and he's already married and had two more kids. Mm. Um, or I say victims. Um, he uh, apparently charmed. He's, you know. Narcissists and sociopaths are incredibly charming. You would right. normally not, unless you're looking, you would normally not know them. You'd think they're the best people in the whole world. Oh my gosh, what a family man. What a, you know, an, an amazing person. I mean, he convinced um, everybody that he had been uh, a stay-at-home dad. I'm like, well, what about these tax records for all the daycare, you know, folks that we had, full time, you know? So, um I'm sorry. Now I've got off on a tangent and forgot about what you were asking me. Um, um, I, so I, I guess this is this is unbelievable that someone mm-hmm. would treat his family this way, even he, his his wife and his girls. What happened when you started kind of? I know I know you 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 had to walk that balance between. Um, you know, explaining to teachers and things like that, what's mm-hmm. going on with your girls versus maintaining some semblance of privacy. Right. Did, did anyone just tell you, uh, Stacy, I don't believe you? You know, nobody came out to say that to my face. Um, but I know that there were several people who did not. Um, a couple of people he convinced, oh, I know what you were asking before. Where did he get the money? Yeah, he convinced, yeah, yeah. um, he would get odd jobs like repairing equipment, that sort of thing. He convinced uh, an old lady, poor, poor me. My wife is trying to take my kids away. My, you know, I, you know, I'm just, they don't give rights to dads anymore, yada, yada, yada. And she had no idea. And he was very charming and I don't have any money. So she gave him the money mm. and he, he went through four attorneys because ultimately the attorneys would realize, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with a psycho. In fact, we got psychological, um, evaluations court ordered and that psychiatrist or psychologist told me that's when I heard the word sociopath. I'm like, mm. ah, something I can study, something I can find out more about. Cause I'm like, this is, I, I've never heard about this sort of thing. Why would somebody do that? Like you said, why would somebody do some stuff like that? It just doesn't make sense. But these people do not make sense. They do not have a conscience. The kids are used as pawns. Anybody, friends and family are used as pawns. So um, he did convince um, a set of our friends to testify on his behalf. What a great father he was. Um, 
And I'm like, you were never a father, you know, never really cared for the kids at all until now. And then he started going to church and he convinced everybody there. I'm like, no, no, this is not that's no, it just started last month would be right before we went to court, you know. Um, but yeah, people who are listening have who have people in their lives that are you that might have experienced this, you know, you understand this is the crazy things you can't even mm-hmm. hardly describe or find words for it's, what's happened. And the, and that's kind of my, my next question is, is you, I want to back up to where you said you were being groomed to be submissive and mm-hmm. uh, to accept this kind of, of psychological abuse. So I've got, I've got a couple of questions kind of banging around in my head here um the the first thing is um you know someone who's in the midst of this and they identify with this and they've never talked to anybody about it um and then they start telling themselves oh my gosh this is real but there's no way anybody any no way anyone would believe this quote saint of a man <laughs> would mm-hmm. would would do this to his family. What advice do you have for someone who's kind of beginning to come to this realization? Yeah, do lots of research because there are support groups. Um, when I was going through this, this is almost ten years ago now. There was, um, oh my goodness, uh, walking on eggshells. Lots of several, a couple of books, and now there are far more books out there. So you have the words to describe what's happening. Cause you, you're like, I, I think it's, it's, you know, I, I, you know, he said this, I don't think he, I said that. Um, and so when you're saying that to somebody, they're like, okay, you just got confused. Well, no, I'm systematically being gaslighted. So when you have the words to describe to somebody what's happening to you or what has happened, and then they can start to see that for themselves and be on the lookout, that's one thing, um, because you are coherent um, because you have the words to use. Mm. And that's really, that's really important. Second of all, you can find a group of people, um, either locally or online, um, that you can talk to that understand. Um, there are hotlines, um, the national, oh, it's called the hotline.org. There's also, um, Oh, my goodness. Uh, National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. A lot of us, we, you know, you don't want to say you've been abused. I don't I hate that word. But when you 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 have been and you have to kind of take a look at that and then make a plan for yourself. But when you're talking to other people um, and, and a lot of times these people are very charming and will turn your friends and family against you. You just have to say, stand oh your ground. They will. Um, they have done in the past a lot of these type of things. And you just have to stand your ground and say, no, that's not what happened. Um, here's what's happened. No, I'm not crazy. Um, what I did for my my attorney said, when whenever something happens, just write it down. Don't write it in an emotional way. Just write it down fact for fact. And that actually helped me when I did, when I went to my writing class, which was, that was my turning point was my writing class. I don't know if you want to hear about that yes. now or not, but yeah. So throughout this, you know, when you're, I, I had been under chronic stress for 10 years because the, the marriage had just, you know, just trying to keep things together and not realizing that it was 
um, being, I was being emotionally abused. Most people do not at first, but, um, so chronic stress makes your brain in a fog, you know, so you might already be in a fog and, and doubting yourself anyway. Um, I knew I needed some sort of a creative outlet that wasn't divorced. That wasn't, you know, trying to care for my daughters and protect them, et cetera. So, and I'd always kind of enjoyed writing. So I took a, a memoir writing class and I would go every Friday and we had assignment, write a, you know, two, three page story. And we would all come and read our stories. And I just, you know, wrote, I used the, the, the list that my attorney had told me to make. Here's what's happened. Here's what's happened. I would take some of that stuff and write it into a story and bring it and, hmm. you know, share it. The crazy stories of, you know, Child Protective Services showing up at my door and and saying, I understand you're not providing heat for the kids in the middle of winter. I'm like, well, that's not true. <laughs> you know, I got the heater fixed. My wires were cut. Here's the pictures. Here's the police report. So um, and they were, of course, flabbergasted. Um, and I was emotional. I was like I. I was like putting into words what the crazy things that were happening in my life. And that's the most beautiful thing. Um, when you go through trauma, and this is trauma, traumatic um, memories are actually stored in a different part of your brain than regular memories. That's why some people develop PTSD from this. Um, and those memories can come back to haunt you and be very sharp. But at the same time, you know, they can hide from you as well. So when you have to write down in words, you have to put down in black and white the feeling that you had what exactly happened, um, then you become much clearer about what your next steps are moving forward, what actually happened, how you felt about it, and what you can do. And when I was in that class, my turning point came when we were writing about what our life theme was about. And I had you know, done these exercises and looked back at my life and I realized, oh my gosh, my life theme was not holding up my hand, not saying, that's not right. That's, I don't want to do that. Um, I don't believe that's, that's good. Uh, not standing up for myself. And when I realized that I was able to say, I don't like that life theme. I'm going to change it. Wow. But unless you realize that your life theme that was hidden, I thought I was a professional woman. I was, you know, I was strong. I was holding the, every, the family together. I was, you know, making an income, paying the bills and just being strong. And really it was a front for the fear of just going under and being totally lost in this, um, crazy making relationship. And, um, and so that was the moment right there that I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't like how I've become. I don't like, um, how my values and morals have slipped by being with this person, I didn't, you know, um, like that and didn't like standing up for my, not standing up for myself. So from then on, I was able to say, I'm going to stand up for myself and be brave on my own behalf and not care for somebody else who did not respond and care for me in, in return. You know, what's amazing. I, I'm sitting here listening to you share your story and you're talking about how, how difficult it has been for you and the people that the women that you work with to admit that they have been a victim because you're strong mm. and, and see, it's mm -hmm. the opposite for me, Stacey. It's like, I have played the 
victim card vigorously for a lot of my life. And so for mm. me, it's been about realizing <clears throat> I'm not a victim. And I think that's, right. that's so fascinating. Truth is truth and it's, and, and truth is important as we work to get better. And right. there's nothing wrong with being a victim unless you're playing one and you're not. And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with um, being okay as long as you're okay. I, I think it's so important for us to really know our our, our stories and what's Absolutely. really really happened. And so your turning point then is understanding that you have been a victim, right? Had been a victim and had accepted that. And this was the, you know, pulling the wool from my eyes moment where I'm I'm going to change my life theme. And that's what writing really does. It's actually called the two minute miracle because writing just two minutes a day in a specific way can actually boost your immune system. Right. It it makes every single person who has written extensively about their lives said writing helped them be clearer. And it certainly did for me. I all of a sudden said, you know, started looking back and as I'm writing some of these things, I'm like, oh my gosh, I allowed that to happen. Or um, this is what was really happening when I was trying to, um, you know, just keep everything together. And, you know, instead of our, you know, our brains have this tendency, let's push things under the rug. And that's how these uh, sociopaths and narcissists uh, fly under the radar. People, you know, they'll they'll brag about, you know, going to Stanford Medical University or whatever, you know, having a degree. And you're like, wait, wait, how? no, but you're not a doctor. No. And, and I must have heard wrong. And these people, they will tell lies upon lies upon lies and nobody calls them out because they're afraid to call people out. And you're like, oh, I don't want to embarrass him. Did, I must have misheard or maybe he did and something happened. And, you know, I think you need to start calling people out. And and that's what but I, I don't do it in a in a mean way, but I no longer I pay attention to what people are saying now. I don't let things go uh, slide under the radar because that's one of the first um, signs of a narcissist is somebody like that. I want to, I want to jump forward to um, the the project that you've got coming up because it, it turns mm-hmm. out um, you figured out that you're not alone. So take me to the, the time when oh, you man. finally found, you finally found some um, resolution to all of this, or if you did, or maybe it's even still ongoing. Um, and then, uh, what brought you to your latest projects? Yeah. There is a large community of people, men and women who have been victims of emotional abuse and emotional abuse often leads to physical abuse. So, um, I just wanted to like give a little definition here for people who might be wondering, I don't know, is it just a tough relationship or is it really abuse? Well, emotional abuse includes verbal assault, dominance, um, control. Isolation is a huge one. Um, if you've been moved uh, to a different state because, oh, that's going to be a beautiful place. We're going to build a beautiful life, but you're now being torn away from your family and your friends. Um, use of intimate knowledge for degradation, um, you know, those type of things, uh, like hitting the door instead of your face, but it's still, that is emotional 
abuse, and that includes um, uh, that's that's intimate partner violence. It includes sexual coercion, stalking or obsessive behavior, all kinds of things. Um, in fact, psychological aggression has been reported by 48.4% of women and even 48.8% of men. So it's really prevalent out there, but you can do something about it. And I had been do- working on my podcast, uh, Real Life Resilience, and I hear a lot of these stories about people who have overcome these type of situations and and different people have been in it for 30 or 40 years or maybe just one year and realized um, and I thought, wow, I wish I'd had some of this information, this knowledge when I was going through this. And so I thought, you know, why don't I just start interviewing people? So I have an Emotional Abuse Recovery and Resilience Summit that's at EmotionalAbuseSummit.com. And it's an online summit. It's going to be free September 1st through the 10th. And I have every single aspect that you can imagine about emotional abuse. Um, How did we get into emotional abuse? Our brain's response to trauma, warning signs of an emotionally abusive relationship, Um, your options, should you stay or go? How do you make a safety plan? Um, No room for blame or shame because that's the next step is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm so embarrassed that my family might have seen this and I didn't and I'm still, I was in that relationship for so long. Um, going through court with an abuser, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you, a financial guide to moving on? Cause a lot of times, uh, there's financial abuse along with it, healing that shame, uh, the science of happiness and fulfillment, um, the gifts of boundaries, the neuroscience of resilience. I really like to take things that are like going on in your head. You know, you've got the amygdala and you've got all these, the stress response, all those things going on causing you to be, um, to accepting more accepting of this behavior or not getting out. Um, but what, how do we get in and how do we get out? How do you make a safety plan? And then how do you build a beautiful, beautiful life afterwards? What does this make possible? How does creative resilience part of recovery and just giving people hope that there is a beautiful life and an amazing life outside of, um, this abuse and you can, you can do it. And so, um, that 45, more than 45 speakers are coming and they're, we're diving deep into these topics. Now tell me how, uh, an online summit works. It's 10 days long. Tell me, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, I sign up and I'm going to get a, a, a free ticket as it were. Mm-hmm. How does all of that work? How do I, how do I even access and then begin to digest all of this stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. So when you go to emotionalabusesummit.com, you'll put in your name and your email, and then you will be signed up for a seat in the summit. So September 1st, the first five videos will be released. And um, you can watch them at your leisure that day. And then they will come down and September 2nd, five more will be released. And then those will come down. Five more will be released. So over the course of 10 days, we'll have all 45, uh, 46 um, interviews, in-depth interviews for you to watch. Um, If you want all of them, you can certainly purchase them through September 2nd. It's $197, so half off of the usual price. Um, And that's if you really want to 
watch them at your leisure. You want to, you know, have them there on your computer and um, watch them at any time that you choose. So on the second, I can buy all of them all at once and then mm-hmm. binge watch them as you binge watch. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. And you know, the thing about this is too, it's also for the friends and family members of people. Like if you have a sister or a mother or a daughter who you suspect is in an abusive relationship, but you know, you're afraid to approach them or you, you know, it's, it's not my business or, or you have tried before and they've kind of put up their hand because they're in this, um, isolation mode, usually typically with an abuser. Uh, we have several videos in here, interviews that I've done on how do you help a friend or family member out of an abusive situation? How do you provide support through that um, appropriate support? Yeah. Where's that fine line between codependency and worry and Mm -hmm. trying to take ownership of a decision that's not ours versus um, just loving one through someone through that situation. Exactly. Hi, a lot of people man. are not ready yet and you can't force them out if they are not ready. You've got to be at the, at a certain moment. So you've got to withhold judgment and allow them to process what they need to process, just be there to support them. So a lot of information about that as well. And that's hard for us to realize when they're in the midst of it. But Mm -hmm. if we're stressing over their situation, then we're unfortunately more often than not contributing to the situation. Exactly. If they already feel condemnation, typically from their abuser, the partner that's abusing them, and then they go to a friend or family member and they're like, well, why aren't you leaving? You need to leave. And then they're feeling condemnation there. They just don't feel like they can do anything right. They are more likely to either stay or go back. And so what can you do to support somebody and allow them to make their own autonomy? Can you, um, can you give us a couple of, um, of, of potential scripts, things that we should say when someone is in the midst of a a chaotic relationship that is unhealthy and potentially dangerous? Even if we don't believe it, what do we say? Right. You know what? You can, all you need to say is, uh, tell me how you're doing right now. Tell me how you're doing right now. And um, just let them speak as much as they want to or, or do not want to. Um, they might not be ready. They might not feel safe yet, but just be there to support them. You know, I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. If you want to talk, um, I won't be judgmental and just let them know that you are a safe place for them. And define um, a if, safe place for me. A, a safe place is somebody who is not going to be uh, condemning, who's not going to try to direct your moves um, or be controlling. So I can, you know, my my writing group was a safe place. I went there and I, you know, poured out my heart more Fridays than not. And they didn't try to fix me. They didn't try to, they just held my story and held my heart in, uh, in that room and just kind of grieved with me. Um, and so just be that safe place where they know they can come without judgment. And, I'm sure they didn't go tell the rest of the world, hey, there's no. this girl in my class. There's this Stacy girl. Oh, see, I see her in Target, and there she is. Right. Look, you ought to, they don't tell your story, do they? No, no. Yeah. No, it was, it was really amazing. And that happened naturally. I didn't realize that's 
what would happen, but it, it was. And, and so that's amazing. Speaking of um, grieving, there's, uh, I also did some interviews on um, grieving that lost relationship because we are sad about, we, you know, our, our, all our hopes and dreams, a lot of our potential, man, I could have been X, Y, and Z if I hadn't have been with this person. Um, you've got to grieve that. And then I also had an interview with uh, music to grieve to. And um, it's okay to grieve. And it's, and there's, you can, it's okay to listen to sad music when you're grieving what's yeah. happened with your relationship. I found myself uh, in Celebrate Recovery. It's a 12-step program. Um, mm-hmm. And I found myself in recovery over unresolved grief. So grief is uh, close to my my heart. And I've got a, an, another question for you. And and I'm how on earth did you come up with all of these people to interview? And what are their areas of expertise? Oh wow. Um... Well, I started with some of the people that I follow, like um, Alan, Dr. Alan Godwin. He has, oh my goodness, now I'm going to forget. He's talking about tired of the drama, he, um, difficult people. He has a newsletter, and I, I listened to, I watched that or read that because he talks about it in really practical ways, and he's, he kind of describes things in a way that I had not heard before. And so I talked to him. Um, I meet people in lots of different um, uh, groups, Facebook groups and things like that, business groups. And I've interviewed therapists, um, counselors, a um, lot of doctors, um, Kim Saeed, who's a, an expert in no contact because these people typically, you can't have a great relationship with them usually ever. Um, because they keep trying to draw you back in and hook you back in and then uh, do all kinds of things. So, um, you know, I have um, Tracy Malone, who has a narcissist uh, abuse support group. Uh, Leslie Varnick, who's a, Vernick, who's a, um, an author, and she's talking about what does God have to say about abuse? And, and you know, because a lot of times we stay in these marriages because we think it's, you know, goes against, you know, um, our religion. And so what does God have to really say about abuse? Um, and so uh, lots of different things. I have Wendy Hernandez, who's an attorney, is talking about how do you go to court when divorcing an emotional abuser? What are some of those tricks uh, that they do? How can you uh, behave and react in court that will help you and not hurt you? So you just um, came up with your dream team of your personal resources and then the people you've run across as you have mm-hmm. come across, as you have researched all of this professionally and uh, in order to educate yourself. That's amazing, Stacey. Yeah, exactly. And then when I, you know, I would interview, like I um, uh, talked with Shannon Thomas, who is a, a very famous author in this area, and she's got the six stages of healing from psychological abuse. And she said, oh, you've really got to, you know, uh, talk with my friend Leslie Vernick. And and so, you know, a lot of referrals. And then I knew Beverly Engel uh, from, she has one of the, She's a very prolific author on emotional abuse and psychological abuse. And so I just sent an email and said, hey, I would love, here's what I'm doing. Here's who it's for. And I would love to have your voice in here. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, absolutely. Well, before I wrap up, um, kind of ask you the last questions. I, I, I kind of want to put a, uh, a period on how, how things are with your ex-husband right now, uh, I, I hear so many stories. People say, 
that they'd never, ever get away from these people without mm. getting too terribly personal. Can you share enough to instruct some people about the best, <clears throat> the best possible outcome when you have been in a relationship with someone like that, and especially when uh, their children are involved? Well, we haven't spoken in a long time. Um, he stopped speaking, like even communicating about the kids uh, years and years ago. And my girls are 17 and 19 now. So, um, you know, almost 18. So, you know, we won't have to communicate any more anyway. So I think the best possible situation for yourself is that you communicate through our family wizard, um, that is admissible in court and it keeps them from abusing you because they will abuse you over the, over text and calls and things like that. Just make it official and make, let it be known that this is where, um, you know, even have it court ordered if possible. This is where we will communicate. And if you don't communicate with me, then the court will see that. And that's exactly what's happened. He, you know, doesn't communicate about vacations, doesn't communicate like he would take the kids' phones away. Um, I would say here's some allergy medicine. And he wouldn't would not even speak was mute completely when we were transferring the kids. So um, our family wizard is probably the best way to um, communicate and show that there is no communication. What is that? A piece of software or something? It is. It's a website that it's just for this particular reason. Yeah. Okay. Um, as we wrap up, um, what good in your life exists today mm. that wouldn't have existed without this darkness in your life? Oh, wow. That is fabulous. I love that question. Um, you know what? Uh, my Actually, my current husband of two years would not have existed um, mm. in my life. He's been amazing. I I think a lot of women jump right into a relationship. For me, and I don't think that's necessarily before healing themselves, and that's not necessarily the best thing. Um, for me, I, I knew I did not want to be in a relationship at all. And um, ultimately, he, he won my heart. But you've got to work on yourself. You've got to heal yourself because if you love yourself and heal yourself first, then you will be a better person into that next relationship that you choose to be in. And um, you won't accept some of this behavior that other people um, and you and you'll also be more aware of some of those warning signs. So um, and just the fact that I can help other people who are in this situation or just getting out of, that is amazing to me. I love uh, walking people through writing their life stories. That's what I do now. Um, I love helping uh, people start to realize, oh, I get it. That's what this is called. That's what this is. And um, helping them through that. Mm. And and that's that's amazing. Stacy, thank you for your time. Do you have anything else that uh, you want to pass on before I let you go? Well, just a reminder, it's emotionalabusesummit.com. You can go there to sign up. And my website is stacybrookman.com. I, I love connecting with people on social media. And so feel free to um, have a conversation with me there. Outstanding. Thank you, Stacy. Thanks, Tracy, for what you do. I really appreciate it. We're so grateful for Stacy's desire to not only share her story, but also to learn more about the psychology of abuse so that she can 
share her experience and her knowledge with others. Now, in the show notes, you're going to find more information about Stacy's Virtual Emotional Abuse Summit. We're also going to share a link to her favorite book about the subject of emotional abuse, as well as a link to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. If you fear your internet usage is being tracked or someone you love is in that situation, please call or have them call this toll-free number for help. It's 1-800-799-7233. We've also got some other things in the show notes, which are available at rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode three zero. Do you know somebody who could benefit from hearing Stacy's story or maybe they're interested in the Emotional Abuse Summit? Share this story, this episode, would you? I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom. 